I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo. I am not Juliet. Try though, I might. Oh, that's so sweet that you might consider even trying to be me because it's not a very exciting, not life, achievable. I tell you, <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> but so, hey, what's shaking, bacon? Hey, so uh, remember last week we were talking about movies, and you gave me recommendation for two films. I- did. You did. Brittany runs a marathon and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yes. May I say, great recommendations. Oh, good. Absolutely, absolutely gems of film. I, oh, good. I am so in love with Jillian Bell and have been since. Isn't she the best? I love her so much. Yeah, she is. She's she, so awesome. Did you ever see Workaholics? No. Uh, okay, show on Comedy Central, I think, in like three or four seasons. Uh, uh-huh. And she started off as like, real periphery character she ends up becoming yeah. like a central part of of the group um just great loved her ever since then i'm real i was very happy to see Fantastic. her in a film and she can carry a film she kicks ass so yay. yeah i will say i had a little bit of a reservoir dog moment while watching yes because you had told me that it was an uplifting film and uh-oh, that it, uh-oh. It he didn't think it was cheered you up and made you happy it did. It, so it's a comedy. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's kind of a drama. It's sad, too. Yeah. It's a little sad. Yeah. But I, I wasn't overall, prepared. Like she, 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 she uh, what's the word? Not rallied. But in the end, she oh, overcame yeah. and it's, no, all that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just the sad parts were like, I got really into the film. And so <laughs> the when the, the sad movie. parts started coming and then just yeah. stayed, I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is supposed to but Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar hit on every fucking level and awesome I'm so embarrassed that is the best movie I recommended Senior Prom to you because that is I mean fine senior Rebel year. Wilson yeah senior, senior Year Senior Prom well I saw Senior Year which we'll talk about in a minute but Senior Year alright cool great oh follow up from the last show the first time we've ever done this um Ooh. So I was like, I recommended a show that was for idiots to Juliet, and she recommended <laughs> two think pieces to me. Because Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, while it is sort of rambunctious, stupid comedy, fun, Kristen Wiig, you are a goddess. Yes. It's still like, ah, all right. And my favorite line of all time, which uh-huh. I have to find a way to use, uh-huh. is, um, and for the audience, I'm not giving anything away, but uh, Barb and Star go on vacation, and they meet a guy and they yeah. both sort of like the guy, but one of them, and it's all casual sex, but one of them yeah. starts having feelings for the guy and he has feelings for her and they keep the relationship hidden, blah, 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 blah. It's a very minor part of the of the movie. You may watch it without fear. Um, and so when confession time comes, right, and the guy's like saying to the woman he's in love with, Star, when he says, Star, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen and you're beautiful on the inside too. And she says, not in front of Barb. And he's like, I mean your heart. <laughs> I love that movie. That's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. I'm so glad you liked it. Oh my God. I had to pause. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Oh, I, I imagine. Crying. Oh God. Oh, so, like whoever wrote that line. Brava. <laughs> Fucking brava. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh. Gorgeous. All right. So um, let's see. So and, I watched this movie that was called Senior yeah. Year. Yeah. Okay. Which you recommended to me. And um, I think this is the one because it's, it's like she wakes up from a coma and she's yeah. like 30 some years old. And yeah, it was funny. I enjoyed it. I mean, I barely remember it now, but but I really, right, I really enjoyed it. So <laughs> thank you for recommending it to me, though, because it was I watched the whole thing. It was really entertaining. Oh, well, I am really glad because, uh, yeah, that is. That is what it was. It's just a mindless thing, right? 
Yeah. Um, but I will take other non-horror film recommendations <laughs> from you. And non-scary, non-bloody, right. non-reservoir yeah. dog <laughs> sort of movie recommendations. And I'll be sure to try and be a little more accurate when I describe them and be like, oh, oh this is a lighthearted romp. I, I just, you know, you, no, you, you do you, you be you, you tell me. It's just now I know. I, yeah. I got the memo and it's like, okay, this... This will be funny. Any movie I recommend to you may be a little bit dark, except for Barb and Star, because that's just pure joy. But <laughs> really was. You know what? Did, did you see Palm Springs? Yeah, I loved it. That was good. Okay, too bad. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. All right, now, a challenge. Now you have okay. to find, and I, yes, we are going to have to do this thing where we find movies that will delight the other one. All right. Why not? Cool. Yeah, we should. I'll have to think about that a little bit, because I'm, I'm not prepared to make a recommendation right now. Me either. But, okay, cool. Good. Oh, oh well, actually, yes. Yeah, so I did. Okay, so we are, we're doing Exxon Valdez, the, yes. the oil. Is it Valdez or is it Valdez? Because I'm going to say Valdez. So I was spelling it double E, Valdez, right? Oh, okay. And it is pronounced Valdez, but it is oh, it spelled is. Valdez, right? Okay. And I couldn't find anything on it on podcast or even really documentaries. Like, I found some stuff on YouTube and it was like, okay, I can watch these five you know, documentaries or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was misspelling it. And so, hi, Apple Podcasts, you might really want to like look at your search function because uh-huh. Valdez and Valdez, sure, there's a double E, but there were so many podcasts really? for the Exxon Valdez. Wow. Very few for the Exxon Valdez with double E. Well, yep. Because it's not spelled that way. Right, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> but the misspelling's not that far off. And so yeah, I'm irked. Yeah. Google can do this for me. So, Apple, you do it for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, however, I'm doing research for all this. I um, and not finding a lot of stuff. However, I found it. I tripped over this UFO thing, right? Oh. Yeah. Cool. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm not finding any podcast on, on the oil spill, which seems odd and weird, but. Whatever, I'll listen, I'll listen to this UFO thing while I drive, right? So that's what I was doing. And this guy is talking about how there was this UFO that came down in 1994 in Rwanda, I think, or whatever, and like yeah. 65 school children saw it. And, and so he goes and he interviews them 30 years later and how huh. it's impacted their lives and the stories. And like their stories never changed. And it's called Aerial Phenomenon, right? Okay. And so I was like... This is the most boring story I have ever heard. The director was so... The interview, I could not... You're talking about a fucking flying saucer. I know you think it would be riveting. Right. It wasn't. It was so fucking boring. And and I was like... And that's kind of what I'm feeling with this Exxon Valdez stuff, too. It's like, it's so boring. There's no story here. Oh, this is... Oil spill. Oh, the nature and the wildlife. Oh, right. Um, and so part of my surprise for you is about UFOs and I can't say oil spills cause they're just not there around renewable energy. Wow. Yeah. So depending on where we land with Exxon, I, if, if we need filler, I have some okay. UFO filler because, uh, that's, that's the level I got to with research where I was like, <laughs> Are there UFOs UFO around podcast. oil spills? Or maybe. There's got to be something. We should do that with all our topics. Check and see what the intersection <laughs> of our topics with UFOs is. Done. The UFO check. Okay. So, all right, sort awesome. of not one, but yeah. Um, um, we'll see. I was going to ask you something, and now I've totally, it's totally slipped my mind. That's going to make for great radio. Uh, uh, you were going to ask me not about UFOs or Exxon Valdez. See how I'm throwing out lines here to... I know. I'm trying. I, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, it was about something that we talked about last week, I think, but I don't remember now what it was. Were you going to talk about some trips you were taking? Was oh, you were. Was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did talk last week about um, my making plans to go on various trips to Big Sur and downtown, and I don't remember where else. Oh, Arizona. Um, and I have uh, made all my travel arrangements now, and I'm taking the dog today to Pet Camp. To um, it's actually called Pet Camp, which is convenient. Um, to 
get her used to being there while we're gone away on vacation in case Aww. we want to go like downtown without the dog like because not you can't go to restaurants and stuff if you've got a dog with you and we're going to see this band in arizona in a couple of months and i would like to go there and i can't leave the dog alone in the hotel room when we go to see the band so we'll right. leave the dog here etc cetera, etc cetera. so anyways so she'll she'll have a good time hopefully today at the at the pet camp she's gonna have a great time I hope so. I hope she doesn't bite anybody. That's what I'm afraid of. They're very comfortable with dogs. I don't know anything about pet camp, but anybody that's running any yeah. sort of a dog daycare thing, they know yeah. what they're doing. Our behaviorist, animal behaviorist, recommended this place. So um, I, she's, that's what she said. She said they're they're used to having dogs that are much worse than your dog. Like, oh, thank God there are dogs much worse than my dog. Oh, there are. There are. <laughs> as, as bad as anybody thinks that their own dog is, there's a dog out there that is worse. I don't know that I could deal with a dog that was really worse. I mean, she's really not bad. She doesn't really bite us or anything, but... She doesn't just, really uh, bite us. <laughs> well, she doesn't bite us, but just the fear of when we go out in public that she might freak out and bite somebody is hard. I don't know anything about dogs with anxiety, so I would going to be all like, have you tried Benadryl? But you probably oh, tried yeah. everything. Yeah, she's on Prozac and she's on Trazodone for anxiety and she's... Uh, she wears her muzzle when she goes out anywhere that's not just to walk around the block. And, you know, we do all those kinds of things. So there's not really all that much we can do about it, apparently. Uh, she's, she's she was a rescue, really right? She was a rescue. So who knows why she's like this? Maybe she had some bad experiences. She really doesn't like to be approached when she's lying down. And she'll snap if, if you run up to her. She'll snap at Brent, not at me. Because I'm the one in charge. I'm right. the alpha dog. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> But, um, but she's otherwise, she's a good dog. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad we found a place that can, can give her uh, some entertainment for a little while without us. Maybe a little bit of a brain stimulation. It'll be great. She'll be around other dogs, around dog people. They will know how to handle her. They will make her comfortable. It's their whole job, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you'll be able to go out and do your thing and go to... I love that going to downtown is a trip for you. <laughs> it's a trip for me. <laughs> well, it's really so that we can stay at a hotel and be near the museums and, you know, go out to eat or whatever. I mean, I'm saying this like we're going to do any of that stuff, right? But, yeah. But, yeah, I hear you. It, it's a trip for me. <laughs> you're sh setting yourself up for success is what's happening. Yeah. So, yay. <laughs> right. Um, but I do have um, something I learned about myself this week, which will Ooh. be fascinating. For everyone. So I have this friend um, and she used to be my massage therapist and, and I went to her for years and years and I really liked her. We got along really well and I was like, this is really cool. You know, we should be friends. And she left massage therapy to become a jewelry maker and she did that for a while and um, we kind of hung out a few times and we're kind of friendly and we were getting to become friends and she came over and Brent helped her out with her business website and did some things for her and, and then nothing, I never heard from her again. Like, I heard nothing. And I thought, what What did I do? What did I say? You know, what, what did I do? She's she's not texting me. She's not emailing me. She's not calling me. Um, why, why did she ghost me like that? Uh-huh. Well, I went back and I looked at my texts yeah. a couple of days ago and just happened to find the conversation thread between her and me. And the last thing that um, was said was a text message from her asking me to go with her to a yoga class the next day and out to brunch. And I never responded. I'm the one that ghosted her. And oh. I didn't even know it. But and now I feel terrible. Did you send her a text message later saying like, Nope. And I'm 90% sure that I didn't reach out to her in any other way. How long ago was this? I don't know. It's probably been four years. Okay. It's too late it's to recover. Too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all this time I've been wondering, why doesn't she like me? Why, why, you know, did she ghost me? What did I do that was so bad? And what I did was so bad was I ghosted her, which is really sad. Uh, but I mean, you know, it could be a combination of things. It, it could not be like totally me, but well, there it's you not go. okay. So number one, it's not totally you because she never called me either. So right, I know. have tons of friends who don't reply to text messages, or I I don't make phone calls anymore. But yeah, uh, whatever, right? Who I I initiate contact, they don't reply, and then right. I just keep initiating contact until they reply. Right, right. I do the same thing with people I know better. But I don't know why I didn't answer her email. I, I just don't know what I was thinking. 
Maybe you were thinking you don't really like her. No, I did really like her. I do really like her. She's like the nicest person you could ever possibly imagine. Like she's just so super sweet and super cute and just really kind and thoughtful. And I really feel bad, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, all right. So here's what you could do if you wanted to. Um, you could reply to that text <laughs> message now. Sure, I'd love to go. <laughs> what time shall I meet you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and right, just pretend nothing that. happened. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. I could also say I realize this is four years late, but love to see ya. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, um, if, it, uh, if, okay, so if that, if I, if I was her, right? Yeah. Like if whatever, somebody was like, oh, I want to be a friend. Great. And then they didn't reply or whatever. Right. And then for whatever reason, I didn't text them like, hey, did you get my yeah. last text? Uh, right. Hi, what's up? Um, and instead, I just, I took that as some message like, oh, they don't really like me. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Four years later, if I got a text message that said, Hey, I really am so sorry I owe you an apology. I um, just got your text. That, no, it doesn't work. It's never going to work. It doesn't work. It's, it's all bad. It, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no coming back, I don't think. Um, well, you can find other friends. I know. I know. The I mean, sea I know. is full of fish, except in Valdez, Alaska. Really not for me. Uh, there aren't that many people I really, really like. So uh, it's it's kind of it's really it's really sad for me. But <laughs> but I, I I made my own bed, so now I got to lie in it. <laughs> All right. You want to talk about Tech Exxon Valdez? Let's talk about oil spill that destroyed <laughs> an economy and an ecosystem. Yeah, that'll cheer us up. That's great. Um, all right. So in 1989, on March 25th, the single hull that'll you have be to, important later it yeah. is the 24th. Are you and sure? I'm positive, and this is very important because my birthday is March 25th and 26th, oh. and nothing bad happens on my birthday. I see. Of so course. this happened the day before my birthday. I know on it was March 24th, 24th 1989. Midnight. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. The single hold oil tanker, and it's important that it was single hold uh, later. Uh, Exxon Valdez left the Alaska Marine Terminal near Valdez, Alaska, full of 53 million gallons of crude oil. Um, when it was headed into Alaska's Prince William Sound about three hours later, so about midnight, the ship hit a well-known reef, which destroyed the hull, the single hull, and 11 million gallons of oil were released into the environment. So this was the worst oil spill in U.S. history at the time and remained so until the 2010 explosion of the drilling rig, the Deepwater Horizon, off the coast of Louisiana in the Gulf of Mexico, which spilled 200,000 gallons of oil a day for five freaking months. Un freaking believable that one still gets for me five I mean, months yep i don't know how that's not in my mind i mean i remember the the bp thing right it uh, went on and on and on and on and on but i didn't realize and i think it may have been less than two hundred thousand a day for all those five months you know they may have like patched up parts of it even a gallon like a day for five months i know right I mean, it'd it's be a lot just, better if it was a gallon a day for five months. It would be a lot better if it was a gallon a day. <laughs> really? But it's like, this fix it, you guys. Right? What are you doing? Fix it. That would, uh, imagine, I hate to be on that project. Um, oh, God, what a nightmare. So anyway, uh, the response to the Exxon Valdez oil spill was slow, according to reports. Uh, they did try dispersants, which I imagine are chemical in nature, uh, but monitoring tests showed that there were no significant benefits from the dispersants. Some of the oil was burned off, uh, which was found to be a more successful method of getting rid of the oil. And the first test burned about 15,000 gallons of oil, and plans were made to use the technique in other areas. But then there was a storm on March 27th, which spread the oil far and wide. Um, so it had been one big connected glop of oil. And then after the storm came, it just kind of got broken up and spread all over the place. So the oil was spilled over about 1,300 miles of shoreline from the reef in Prince William Sound to the Gulf of Alaska. And only about 14% of the oil spilled was actually cleaned up through human actions. So I have an interesting quote from the Exxon Valdez Oil Spill Trustee Council, which says that scientists studying the fate of the oil estimated that 20% evaporated, 50% biodegraded, 
14% was cleaned up, 13% remained in subtitle sediments, 2% remained on shorelines, and less than 1% remained in the water. There is no way I believe that. That is absolutely completely not true. None, none of that's true. The, it can't those be true. It, all it can't wrong. have biodegraded in the last, I don't know, 10 years or, well, no, 30 years ago now. <laughs> well, but still, even, even then, I don't think it, I think it takes millions of years to biodegrade. Um, hi, that's how we have oil because it doesn't fucking right? biodegrade. Right? I mean, it does eventually, sure, yeah, but I mean, not in 30 years. No. So um, while I can't speak to exactly what happened to every drop of oil, I can tell you that 20 years later, there's yep. still an estimated 55 tons of oil about a foot or to a foot and a half below the surface of many of the beaches. Wow. You can dig your hand down on the beach over this 1,300 mile stretch of coast. So for our, I don't know, for our geographic minded listeners, that's the coastline from Seattle to San Francisco. That's Jesus. the length of, of land. You can stick your hand a good foot down and pull it up and it'll be black. The oil is wow. just under the surface. It's just under the, it's not even under the ground. It's just under it's some just rocks covered and up dirt. by some stuff. Yep. Wow. Um, that's all the way to San Francisco? Yep. Holy crap. I walked it yesterday to measure it. So I know wow. for sure. Yep. You know for sure. I know for sure. I also know that uh, shellfish in the western regions of the Sound have never come back, nor uh, have the otters. There were um, 250,000 seabirds killed, 3,000 otters. This is, I don't know where they get these numbers, but 300 seals, 250 bald eagles, and 22 killer whales. Uh, the oil spill may also have played a role in the collapse of salmon and herring fisheries in the early 1990s in Prince William Sound when fishermen went bankrupt and the economies of small towns, including Valdez and Cordova, suffered. So, uh, yeah, so the oil has mostly disappeared from view, although more than half of the Alaskan beaches in Prince William Sound remain polluted. And recent sampling, as you mentioned, revealed pockets of oil buried four to eight inches under sand and gravel, often topped by stones, and it's likely to remain there for decades to come. Local populations of killer whales and some seabirds in Prince William Sound have still not recovered. No, and they're uh, predicting the uh, extinction of a specific pod of killer whales. Oh. Um, yeah. So uh, however they monitor pods, they know that this right. one collection of genetically diverse um, killer whales, yes. uh, there's six males left and no females. Oh. And so when the last oh. male dies, this pod will be gone. That's the end of the pod. Yep. Oh, that That's sounds sad. sad when you say it that way, at the end of the pod. I think about our pod. Oh, our pod will never end. No, it can't. <laughs> <laughs> what will I do in this closet without a podcast? You'll finally have to come out of the closet. <laughs> there is an irony in, yes. in the fact that you're in the kitchen and yes. I'm in the closet. I know. I'm here a we meet. in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, exactly. guy in the closet. And I'm freezing too, so I don't know what that says. Um, I should put a sweater on. Says, says you don't know how to cook. So the oven would be on. <laughs> Bake some pies. Yay. So Exxon fired the Captain Joseph Hazelwood because he admitted to drinking before he got on board the ship. And also his blood and urine samples, which were taken 10 hours after the accident, showed that he was drunk. But, and I don't know how, he was acquitted in court of being intoxicated while at the helm. But he was convicted on a misdemeanor charge of negligent discharge of oil. So he was fined $50,000 and sentenced to 1,000 hours of community service which seems really low to me. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how he got acquitted of being drunk because it looks like to me he was drunk. Well, so there were a couple. All right. So with Hazelwood, everything comes back to alcohol, right? That, uh -huh. That's his story. Whether he wants it or not, that's what he is tagged with. Okay. That's what he's tarred with. Thank you. Yes. Tarred with. That's right. Tarred, yes. So I know, right? Um, <laughs> so he had four DUIs in New York on his record, right? While he was working for Exxon as a captain of a ship. So he wasn't yeah. allowed to drive a car, but he could drive a big boat. And Exxon knew, apparently there were internal memos about him, right? That he drank a lot. Yeah. 
but he was a really good captain. So okay. they just kind of let that slide. This guy with oh, a drinking wow. problem, but he's really good at his job. And so kind of how he, I don't want to say got off, but, I, but the, that night, right, about 15 minutes before the accident, before the boat ran aground, uh, he left the third mate, Gregory Cousins, in charge and said, hey, Greg, listen, I'm going to go to bed. So you drive the boat. By the way, you can see that great big landmass right there that we're headed to. You need to turn the boat to the right, and you need to do that in the next five minutes. Okay, good night. And he left. So he actually wasn't on the bridge when it happened. There's a violation of corporate policy. You should have two officers on the bridge at, at, I guess, at any time, right? But it was just poor Greg and... uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason, Greg did not turn the ship in Well, time. he had been working for six hours prior to being put on uh, at the helm, and he had been awake for up to 18 hours. So he uh, was supposed to have been relieved by a second mate, but he knew the second mate had also been working long hours previously, so he told the second mate just to chill out and that he would take care of everything. So that's why he was there. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. It should have been the second mate steering. Right, and so... And he was overworked and, and overtired. As sort of was everybody on the ship, right? Right, um, right. I'll, They've been cutting back on the number of staff on these these ships, these tanker ships, for a long time prior to this. And, and we're, we're, I, I saw some statistics. It was like, in 1947, it would have taken 100 people to run the ship. And then in 1989, there were 14 people running it or something like that. So it, they really had cut back on the number of people that were working on these tankers and, and to, to, I think, some, some detriment. Uh, right. This is an accident that everybody, when I say everybody, I mean everybody in Alaska, everybody in the town of Valdez and Cordova and surrounding towns, knew was going to happen um there's a you just said valdez dead it's valdez <laughs> it's totally valdez it is valdez i've listened to okay podcast i listen to people from valdez oh, okay, say okay. the name of their town and i'm still right. going to call it valdez now they know how to spell it so damned if you do damned if you don't um <laughs> there was something in that though that it's gone it's gone there was a point right. i was going to make but sorry it, it'll, i distracted oh, so, you well, spelling. Spelling distracted me. <laughs> so there was another issue, too, that um, should have alerted the third mate that the reef was nearby, and that's that the um, ship's radar system wasn't working, and it hadn't been working for more than a year, and Exxon didn't fix it because they considered it too expensive to fix and operate. So um, now those ship radar systems are all working on all of their boats, but um, boats. Are they boats? Ships. Ships. Boats. You say Whatever. potato. <laughs> Exxon spent over $3.8 billion to clean up the oil spill, which covered paying people directly to do things like wash off wildlife and spray oil-covered beaches. Uh, and they also compensated 11,000 local residents for income loss. And, of course, there were fines. But in 1994, a jury in Anchorage found that Exxon's recklessness should be recognized, and they awarded spill victims $5 billion in damages. However, Exxon appealed the decision repeatedly. Um, they spent $15, $15, 15 years in court. Basically, um, they spent $15, yeah, yeah. Basically, until the case reached the Supreme Court in 2006, and the Supreme Court reduced the punitive damages to $500 million, which is about 12 hours worth of revenue for the company. Yeah, there aren't any heroes, hard to believe, in yeah. the uh, corporate side of this, right? It's awful. Um, it, it's more than awful, and it's it was calculated awful as well, yeah. right? Yeah. And everything was done to save money. Um, <sighs> and, and the oil industry, it's pretty efficient as it is. For instance, right. did you know that two cents of every gallon of gasoline goes towards paying for the transport of the oil? Nope. I didn't either, but I found that out researching this show. And it's like, two cents for a gallon of gas goes to the transportation. That doesn't feel like a lot of money. Yeah. You know, uh, what's 2% of five bucks? I don't know. 2% or, or no, two cents? No, two cents. Two cents. Sorry. Yeah. And I, so if, if you get like $50 gas is a worth dollar a gallon, gallon. 
two cents times 50 is a two dollars or a dollar or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's a real small percentage is, is the yeah. point because things are running at, at like super efficient speeds. Um, back in the old days, they used to transport the oil in actual barrels and mm. they would get the barrels off of the ship, empty the barrels and then put the barrels back on the ship and then the ship would go back and get more oil, right? Well, you're carrying a ton of weight with you when you're going back because those barrels, they weigh stuff. They're, they're heavy, yeah. right? Yeah. So eventually they figured out, oh, what if the ship was the barrel? Right. <sighs> Mind-blowing, right? right? <laughs> and so the, these tankers are sort of, I'll say honeycomb. It's really not honeycomb, right? But uh, the, the containers are built into the ship. So they load up the ship with the oil, Ship gets to where it was going. The Valdez was headed to Long Beach, California. And if it had gotten there, they would have just pumped all the oil out, right? And right. so I was unaware that the ships were the barrel themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I didn't know that they were single-hulled, and then they were made double-hulled after um, after this happened. There was an Oil Pollution Act that Congress passed in 1990, which both increased penalties for companies responsible for oil spills <laughs> and required that all oil tankers in the U.S. waters have a double-hull. So that's, that it, seems like that seems like a no-brainer to me, well, but I guess it wasn't. Here's, here's some information that I learned this morning. Yeah. In the early 1980s, the state of Alaska had passed a law that said that oil tankers have to be double hauled. Oh, really? Yeah. But what guess happened? what? Uh, corporate greed is what happened. A double hull oh. um, ship is heavier than a single hull. Expensive. It's yeah. slower. It takes more. I guess they run on gasoline. How funny. They're pumping gasoline. And, <laughs> well, yeah, funny. Yeah. You're carrying the thing that you need. Um but, you know, cool, actually not cool. Oh, and so the point that I was going to make earlier, which I had forgotten, was that everybody knew that this was inevitable. There was going to be oh, a massive no. wreck and there was going to be a shitload of oil in the ocean and on the shore, right? Yeah. A woman named Ricky Ott, who's uh, an active environmentalist, and I believe a professor of marine biology, don't hold me to that one, was, mm -hmm. gave a speech on March 23rd, 1989. Oh, boy. In Valdez that was entitled, oh, no. It's Not If, But When Will. Oh, boy. Right? Absolutely, wow. completely insane that the following day... It. Uh, well, she nailed it. Yes, she is Ricky, I think, with an I. I didn't look up the spelling of her name. Okay. Um, but so so a known thing, Exxon was cheating the system. Try and catch us with our single hull ship, huh? Wow. Allowed um, a person who had a questionable relationship with alcohol to be yeah. in charge of charge. a ship. Had Near staff this reef. overworked. Right. Yeah. And so on one level, it's like, how is Exxon responsible for this? On the other hand, it's like, oh, Exxon, 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 you dirty dog. <laughs> yeah. The thing about the radar system not working is what really gets to me that they just didn't bother repairing it because it was too expensive to run. I had not. That is not an, anything that I have looked at. That is crazy. Yeah. It's uh, annoying, I guess, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So we have an apology. Um, the Exxon chairman at the time, L.G. Rawl, wrote in full page, page ads in U.S. newspapers, quote, on March 24th, you're right, in the early morning hours, a disastrous accident happened in the waters of Prince William Sound. By now, you all know that our tanker, the Exxon Valdez, hit a submerged reef and lost 240,000 barrels of oil into the waters of the Sound. We believe that Exxon has moved swiftly and competently to, for, to minimize the effect this oil will have on the environment, fish, and other wildlife. Further, I hope you know that we have already committed several hundred people to work on the cleanup. We will also meet our obligations to all those who have suffered damage from the spill. Finally, and most importantly, I want to tell you how sorry I am that this accident took place. 
We at Exxon are especially sympathetic to the residents of Valdez and the people of the state of Alaska. We cannot, of course, undo what has been done. But I can assure you that since March 24th, the accident has been receiving our full attention and will continue to do so. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't like it at all, clearly. And it has nothing to do with the event, right? It's not my reaction to all those dead animals. It's more, uh, I love the opening. It's super poetic, right? On March 24th in the early morning hours. I mean, early morning hours, such an innocent time. You know, (laughs) nothing is happening. A disastrous accident happened. This thing occurred. Yeah, exactly. Right. Something happened. We didn't cause it. It just happened. This thing happened. And um, by now, you all know. (laughs) I mean, fucking, yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. We all know. Um, And then I love, we believe that Exxon has moved swiftly. Yeah. Of course you believe you're doing great, right? You believe you're always doing great. Yeah. yeah, I want you to know we have already committed several hundred people to work on the cleanup. Um, you want several hundred people cleaning up 11 million gallons? Yeah. I'm pretty bad at math, but I know what a gallon of milk looks like, and I can imagine 10 of them. <laughs> That's a lot. I wouldn't want that on my floor. Right. So <laughs> I would need several hundred people to help me clean up 100 gallons of milk. Yeah. So... Yeah, it I mean, it gets a big fat zero. Um, I don't I don't see or hear anything about um, what they're going to do to ensure this never happens again. Right. He did say he was sorry, but who cares? I love this bit. Finally, and most importantly, I want to tell you how sorry I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's most it's important, not that, important I'm sorry. that you're sorry, honey. No. Yeah. Um, we at Exxon are especially sympathetic to the residents of Valdez. Yeah, you should be. Um, yeah. We ruin their livelihoods. Yeah. Yeah, we're really sympathetic to the residents of Paris. It doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Who else right. are you sorry for? Um, <laughs> and on that point, so, of course, the, the case goes to court. The residents of um, Valdez and Cordova, the fishing industry was decimated. To this day, only 50% of it has come back. So they used to have like oh. 225 registered fishing vessels. There's 90, yeah. nine zero, oh, wow. right? Um, so that's bad. And then the money, right? Oh, Exxon's yeah. going to give all this money. Well, no, no they didn't because it got to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was like, you can't take all the money away from them, you guys. So cool. but Hardly it, even a blip. 22, on their financial radar. Uh, what do you call it? Motions to dismiss the case. Right. 22 motions to dismiss. And I saw an interview with a, uh, a resident of Valdez who, sorry, Valdez, Jesus, it's hard, mm-hmm. um, who was a fisherman. And he was like, look, they were supposed to pay $5 billion. And yep. this has been going on for five years. The the money they're earning on the interest on $5 billion will generate another $5 billion in 10 years. All they're doing is running out the clock, right? Wow. So, which I guess on one hand, if you can get away with it, is smart corporate governance because money, right. money, money. But um, yeah, it's just real shitty. It's a big giant zero for me. It really is. They did have to pay um, additional, I believe, if I remember correctly, they did have to pay additional interest on the five hundred million that they finally were told that they had to pay, but the interest was, I think, another five hundred million, and it still adds up to one day's worth of revenue for the company, which is nothing. I mean, they don't even need to really even. They could just probably write that off. They don't, they probably don't even need any signatures in order to sign a check for a billion dollars, considering how much money they make. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine five hundred million dollars being twelve hours worth of revenue? Uh, That's no. Just outrageously huge amounts of money. Uh, the short answer is no, I, I, I cannot. Um, but I also have a hard time connecting those people, right, with their... Res- like, they live on the planet, too. Yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. have access to some special other version of Earth. 
Um, right. I mean, I know they do because of money, et cetera, et cetera. But right. you're breathing the but air. It's still the same planet. Yeah, they've, they've got to eat those fish that they're catching in the, the Prince William Sound or whatever. Whatever. They're, those are still killer whales that are never going to come back. Uh, yeah. You know, it, and, and that's the thing that obviously is very sad. Um, I did see a piece about the health effects on the cleanup crews of uh, the Valdez spill. Valdez, Valdez. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so, and it, I'm going to say a little bit all over the place. So I saw one report um, from Business Insider that said every, cl- every worker involved in the cleanup had died 30 years later. Now, Damn. that... I, some sources, can I, and I'm not finding that elsewhere, right? Um, But I did find a thing on CNN, which feels a lot more credible, right? Um, And so this is from 2010. Two decades ago, Roy Dalthrop helped clean up the rocky shores of Prince William Sound. Today, Dalthrop struggles to breathe. Dalthrop told CNN he was slowly poisoned during the Alaska cleanup effort. Dalthrop said his trouble started when uh, he was out of work and he joined the Exxon Valdez cleanup effort. And for six weeks, he lived and worked aboard a ship that ran boilers to heat seawater. The 120 to 140 degree water was used to blast crude off of the shoreline and it left plumes of oily smelling steam in the surrounding air. Um, And then Dalthrop says, I had no choices because I was behind on my house payments and no health insurance. Um, he never filed workers' compensation claim or had doctor determine uh, the cause of his illness. But uh, there's an attorney who represented another man with similar health concerns, and that man received a $2 million settlement from Exxon with no admission of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, Dalthrop, I think this is Dalthrop. Um, oh, no. Okay. So so the attorney for this guy who, who sued and won, won because the attorney went to Exxon's headquarters and said, hey, let me see the health workers for like all the people that worked on your cleanup. Yeah. Like, what's up? Right? Yeah. And they said, oh, no, you can't. That's private information. We can't betray oh, the trust of our, of our co, right. not co-workers, but our cleanup crews and blah, blah, blah. And so the attorney um, managed to get a, a court to say, all right, maybe you can't show them individual records of Harry Smith had this disease, but he could see a summary of the information. Like, right. A hundred people have people this thing. Of whatever, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so... Uh, let's see here. And and what the attorney discovered was that out of 11,000 cleanup workers, 6,722 of them had gotten sick. And wow. sick to a point where they could attach it to the cleanup, right? Yeah. Um, in a statement issued to CNN, Exxon said it could not confirm that number. Mm-hmm. The work- of course not. Yeah. No, of course, oh, we don't know. The workers hired for the cleanup tend to be transient temporary workers making oh, i know come make, on making it so they deserve what they get making any medical follow-up incredibly difficult it, i'm sure it Jesus. would be yes mm-hmm. this is 2010 it wasn't in 1980 uh, maybe you have a point right because you have to call people on the phone uh right but you can it's email um yeah. and it noted that out of roughly 50,000 workers hired for the effort open quote there were no adverse judgments rendered against the company, close quote. Well, I mean, there's one. You had to pay somebody $2 million. Right. After 20 years, there is no evidence that either cleanup workers or the residents of the communities uh-huh. affected by the Valdez spill have had any adverse health effects as a result of the spill or its cleanup, Exxon says. And why would they? It's not like any animals died of it or anything. Oh, it's not like I mean, it's a health hazard. What are you talking about? Exxon? Valdez? <laughs> Never heard of the it. The purest, cleanest Bad oil. Deeds. <laughs> At the time, the government and the company called um, those illnesses experienced by workers the Exxon crud, a flu oh. or a cold that Exxon was not required to report to federal health officials. Huh. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health agreed... 
And uh, the attorney <laughs> said uh, the agency never looked at any medical records which were controlled by Exxon. So, you Damn. know, yeah. So uh, for sure, Exxon, we see you. What's sad is I do like your gasoline. <laughs> well, it's kind of like all the other gasoline out there, it's, right? It's the cleanest gasoline. We need to use some gasoline every so often, unfortunately. Captain Hazelwood apologized too, ten yes. years later after this bill, and his was a little, a little, little bit better. I do apologize for what's happened. I don't know what apology would be appropriate, though. I could apologize to the people of Alaska, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But I still don't think it would be enough. I mean, it's not a very good apology, but it's it's it seems a little more honest. I totally think that it's uh, honest. I mean, sure, it's, it's not felt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is is it the best apology? Um, no. And so um, he uh, he added a little bit more to that, but it's it doesn't go any further or any deeper. Uh, so Sharon Bushnell, who's a writer collecting oral stories. And she went to Valdez, Valdez. Oh, God, nonstop. <laughs> Just the same error again okay. and again and again. I hate it. And uh, she wrote a book called The Spill, Personal Stories from the Exxon Valdez Disaster. And uh, Hazelwood, who was working as an investigator and technical consultant with a maritime law firm in New York City, agreed to an interview. Um, he's fairly private. And I would be, too, if I was in his shoes. Yeah. I wouldn't be excited to talk to the press every day. Although, being me, maybe I would be. You guys, you <laughs> won't believe bad I feel. Um, <laughs> so the day before he starts his story, he and the chief engineer left the dock ship and went into the town of Valdez on some business. And uh, Hazelwood wanted to get some Easter flowers for his daughter. So he wanted to order them and have them sent to his daughter. Um, and then... After lunch, we had a couple of drinks, Hazelwood says. Following the wreck on Bly Reef, several miles outside of the port of Valdez, Hazelwood tells of how he refused to speak with the National Transportation Safety Board investigators and how, after returning home to New York, he found his house mobbed with reporters and how, after a long court fight, he beat all of the criminal charges except for one, the negligent discharge of oil, um, and that he was sentenced to community service in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, he explains, I started off by picking up trash along the Anchorage Road. That only lasted one day because the director of the community services in Anchorage, as he put it, really didn't want me out there on the street anymore, tying up traffic with people ogling me in an orange jumpsuit. Mm. Mm. Hazelwood seems to suggest that he was wrongly blamed. The true story is out there for anybody who wants to look at the facts but that's not the sexy story, and that's not the easy story, he says. Oh, yeah. I know. In the end, Hazelwood, down to 60s, says he felt Alaskans always gave me a fair shake. And I probably, I agree with that. Um, why do I agree with that? Working people, they, you know, yeah, they, they get it. Um, I mean, are they happy? No, of course not. Uh, right. I was the captain of a ship that ran aground and caused a horrendous amount of damage. I've got to be responsible for that, he says. I would like to offer an apology. This is the apology that, that you just read. A very heartfelt apology to the people of Alaska for the damage caused by the grounding of a ship that I was in command of. So we're letting ourselves off the hook there a little bit. Yeah. But I also understand that, like, the fact is he... Well, he his hands were not on the wheel, right? Right. His right. drunken hands were not on the wheel of the <laughs> ship when it went into. Wasn't his hands at all? Um, Otto. So from the same article, um, Otto Harrison, who was Exxon's cleanup manager, tells of the bad publicity the company received for putting people to work swabbing oil off of rocks with rags. And I did see some video footage and documentaries of exactly that. Work up clean, work up cleaners? No, mm -hmm. cleaners, workers, taking paper towels and big sponges and like oh. wiping a rock, a big oh rock, a rock like the size of my giant head, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, that was the cleanup? What? And uh, 
so that did get a little bit of of negative publicity. He explains that was the only way of keeping workers out of the bar and out of trouble until a flotilla of landing craft could be equipped for the cleanup. What? Uh huh. Yeah. So what he says is he created busy work for this crew because oh they got into the bars and they went drinking. Oh my right? god. Yeah. Um, and I will say this: I've been to Alaska once, and I was there for like <laughs> a week, right, uh -huh. to Anchorage. And it's the first and only time in my life that I heard the phrase dirty Eskimos. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. From a local. was I wasn't talking out loud. I, oh, my God. A local was explaining to me that the, I was going to say the church, the hotel, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> the church I was staying in, the hotel I was yeah. staying in, which was like, I think, pretty sure it was the Holiday Inn. Yeah. Probably something far different by now, right? had uh, right. one of the few bars in town that was open on Sunday or open past 8 p.m. or, or whatever, the, whatever the reason was, right? And it was like, yeah, and when you leave tonight to go to dinner, you're going to see a long line of dirty Eskimos waiting to get inside so they can get their fix. And I was oh like, God. oh, wow. Wow. I, I, so many things there that I, I don't even know what to do with. I have to Why walk past a long line of people. No. Um, well, I was working for uh, a tourist board and uh -huh. I was there for, was it a tourist show? Was it a tourism show? Whatever it was, it was work related. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So, well, so there's a thing and I can't remember what it is, but like in Alaska, every resident gets uh, money from the oil yeah. industry or the government, yeah. right? And, yeah. and that happens at a specific time of year. And everybody uh -huh. looks forward to it. And depending on how successful the year was for the state, your check is either like $2,000 or $6,000. Right. And so I was, I was there once when I worked for Disney. And I stood in a mall behind a table offering people like pamphlets to Disneyland. Like, oh, come and spend your money with oh, us. Right? Wow. That's what it is. It's like, oh, these residents are flush with cash. Get up there. Um, yeah. But then I think I went up for a tour show too. So maybe I've been there twice, but... I don't know. Stunningly beautiful. I do. I do remember that. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, I've only been there once. So whatever. Once and for Disney and uh, and alcohol is like a, not a lot to do with Anchorage when I was there. Yeah, it's not very big. And, I mean, yeah, really. So considering. I, but, you know, this is stereotyping and I can hear everybody in Alaska drunkenly screaming at me right now. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so sorry. I'm sorry. Or you not guys. drunkenly screaming at you. Right. Screaming either way. Yeah. Screaming, screaming together as one voice. Hey, let's leave this subject. OK, let's keep going on on the Valdez and point out all the things they did wrong and not this conversation that I am having now. OK. Um, I think this is all that I have about the Exxon Valdez, which was a terrible, terrible, terrible accident. Um, yeah, I have an apology expected, though. I have um, an apology expected too, but because we have a few, we have a few extra We've moments, talked. right? Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you about UFOs. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> I love UFOs. Again, I was like this. This Valdez. Des Valdez, however he was misspelling it, right? Story, I'm just not finding anything there. Then I trip over this UFO thing, right? And I was like, huh, I wonder. This is a really boring interview, and I'm working on a subject that's feeling a little bored. If I mix the two together somehow, right? Yeah. Does it, does it pick up? And so uh, this is from Renewable Energy Magazine. And the title... Why aren't UFOs drawn to renewable? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, our, our big eye-catching opening paragraph. Witnesses say they've seen them near nuclear facilities, oil rigs, and even hovering above active volcanoes. But UFOs, whatever they are, and whomever may be controlling them, seem to have turned <laughs> a blind eye to large-scale wind farms CSP plants or utility scale photo photovoltaics, photovoltaics, 
whatever. Photovoltics, sure. I mean, I love how you're like, photovoltics? Yeah, absolutely. They run a free 2.25 <laughs> paradigm thingy. Okay. Try as one might, connections between renewables and unidentified flying objects are almost impossible <laughs> to make. <laughs> It gets good. I'll do voices and everything. It gets good. (laughs) (laughs) And again, this isn't like from UFO Digest or, you know, it's from a magazine, well, an online magazine, whatever, right? About renewable energy. Uh huh. Okay, don't make me laugh. This is serious journalism. It's Bob Woodward is frowning at you right now, Juliet. Oh, sorry. It's an interesting question. But I know of no connection between renewable energy facilities and UFOs, said Stanton Friedman. Oh, my God. I know, right? The (laughs) physicist who is widely credited with reviving interest in the alleged 1947 crash of an alien spacecraft in Roswell, New Mexico. (laughs) But why even entertain such a notion? Because whatever your convictions on the subject, whether you believe them to be pure bunk, science fact, or science fiction, they are a fixture of pop culture, blah, blah, blah. Uh, open quote, I don't know who's saying this, but I'm sure it's going to be just comedy gold. However, <laughs> in the UFO literature, there is plenty of evidence that UFOs do seem to be seen around power lines and possibly power stations. Also, there does seem to be a proclivity on the part of the phenomenon to visit nuclear power plants and nuclear missile sites. Nice <laughs> word of the proclivity there. Um, to my knowledge, Roll added, the phenomenon doesn't seem to be interested in hydroelectric dams, hydroelectric dams, wind uh-huh. farms, solar rays, geothermal <laughs> plants, ocean Jeez. wave generation efforts, and so on. Stephen R. Murillo, state section director of the Los Angeles chapter of MUFON, said in mm. his 12 years of observations and research, he's never come across any indication that UFOs are attracted to renewable energy sources. Um, and then, you know, oh my God, yeah, they're all over like military sites and I'm going to skip over a lot of this. Um, and he says, now, if you're willing to count volcanoes as a renewable energy source, geothermic, then I would say, yes, UFOs are attracted to a form of renewable energy. Um, and then Mario goes on to say, to my mind, renewable is the most obvious form of energy that any evolving species might harness first before or in parallel with the concept of combustion. He said, the power of the sun, wind, seas, water, or something you will have, you, you would have to deal with day to day, whether you're on this planet or on the planet that's like 2 billion light years away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, mm-hmm. so I guess the reasoning there, it's a, it's a longer article than I thought, is that, oh, they're not interested in renewable because, yeah, that's obvious, right? having said that ufos do seem to be operating on petroleum-free technology he added the obvious choice for space-time travel would be to base your propulsion on an energy source that is pervasive in the ether of the universe their presence Uh on this planet implies that this energy source exists but is yet undiscovered by us publicly anyway (laughs) (laughs) so Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, it goes on for another page. I'll stop there. I never thought about that before. You're welcome. <laughs> you'll, now you'll think about it nonstop. Now I will. Um, what do they use? What do they use? Well, I mean, I suppose it does make sense that if they use energy at all, then it's something that would You'd be readily available. you need an awful available. lot of oil and gas to get around in the universe, I would think, but... I mean, I guess we when we go to the moon or wherever we go, we use an awful lot of oil and gas. So it's not saying it's impossible, but it doesn't seem to be all that efficient. I I just... Just my speculating, I don't know. I I just just love the whole idea. It's, yeah, it's great. It's, that's a great piece. So super fun. Good job. Thank you, Renewable Energy Magazine Online. so do you have an apology expected or who's sorry now i do i do and so i always um endeavor to have my apology linked somehow some way this one's a bit of a stretch right okay but the supreme court knocked down the five billion dollar uh um 
Not penalty punitive. payment. Thank you. Yeah, but punitive. That's it. Punitive. Uh, charges, whatever, um, against Exxon and reduce that. Uh, so this is a Supreme Court apology, and oh. I, I sort of think this might happen, and I hope we get to cover it. I think that Ginny Thomas, wife of Clarence Thomas, who is famously now um, on record by a text, texting January 6th insurgents to go, 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 right? He did? Well, not quite that bad, but yeah. Oh, Jesus. Apparently, apparently Mrs. Thomas let it slip that there are some pretty contentious and heated arguments happening over at the Supreme Court. And I don't know how she could have any insider information as to what's happening behind closed doors at the Supreme Court. It's a a mystery. But she texts that information to, I don't know, one of the stupid attorneys, Eastwood, I think, whatever, the January 6th crowd. Like, I, so here's, here's what I will say. I am sure she is going to be issuing an apology at some point to say that she was wrong to have shared information like that with a trusted friend. Ugh. So that's my apology expected. I hate them. Jenny Thomas. Uh, okay. Absolutely the worst. I don't the think worst. she's going to apologize, but that's very optimistic of you to expect an apology. Yeah. So my apology expected is... Um, well, I'll just tell you. Um, according to a New no, York Times article, stop. <laughs> stop there. According to a New York Times article by Clifford Krauss, Exxon and Chevron said in late April that while they were increasing their production in the Permian Basin, which is a giant, fa- sh- giant shale oil field straddling Texas and New Mexico, they were not seeking to ramp up oil and natural gas production overall, despite pressure from the Biden administration, which is seeking to cut down high energy prices. In the past, Chevron, Exxon, and other energy companies invested heavily when prices were high, but then they would see losses when prices fell and the industry flooded the market with supply. So now, uh, as, at, at a con- as a contrast, in contrast, they are enjoying higher profits without increasing their output. Chevron's chief executive said, There is a lot of uncertainty. One of the lessons of history is that just as the bad times don't last forever, neither do the times when prices are strong a.k.a. the good times, a.k.a. now when we're all getting gouged um, at the at the tank, as they say, at the pump. Um, Exxon reported doubling quarterly earnings from a year earlier, even after a write-down of $3.4 billion from abandoning its operations in Russia. So they fully left, left Russia, um, wrote off $3.4 billion, and are still making double what they made this time last year. Um, Exxon is the U.S. largest U.S. oil producer, lost about $20 billion in 2020, and had borrowed more than $30 billion to finance operations, but are um, making up for that now. So a big oil CEOs were hauled into a congressional hearing last month where House Democrats accused them of gouging customers by sharply raising gasoline prices, which the executives firmly denied. Joe Biden said Exxon made more money than God this year. Well, and, I made more money than God because supposedly <laughs> God's not into money. I know the Pope has a money. different opinion, but God is in charge of everything. He doesn't need money. But yeah, so I'm expecting an apology from the oil and gas companies, which is hilarious because I know they're never going to apologize. The same day that Ginny Thomas drops her yes. apology, you'll get yours. Exactly. I want an apology. I, I don't necessarily expect one. So, but we didn't say um, this is a a listener requested episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, our engineer, Brent, um, has been chatting with people online, as he does. And one of his uh, online friends or acquaintances requested that we do the Exxon Valdez. So we were very excited that somebody, uh, A, that we have a listener at all. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) And B, that a listener would be so interested in what we do as to make a suggestion. So thank you so much for making this suggestion. We're happy to have done it. And uh, it was very interesting. And please make more suggestions, everybody. We're very uh, excited about that. Oh, totally. I remember when we, even though I was like, oh, it's a boring story, blah, 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 blah. When we came up with the concept for the show, we were like, all right, well, let's have a list of 10 apologies that we're going to cover if we ever hit something. And the Exxon Mm -hmm. Valdez was one of them. Was it? Yep. I wonder what the other ones were. <laughs> well, there were nine. 
<laughs> I know that. I remember it was really important. Well, I think Bill Clinton. I, I, we probably did them probably. all. Probably. Yeah, it's, probably by now. But I it mean, was. Been, how many episodes have we done now? Um, more than 80. Okay, that's so, cool. So uh, I think this is number 86, but... So Let's we have to way. start planning our 100th episode. We should do it like from somewhere <laughs> exciting like Paris. Oh, you're on. Yes. <laughs> our 100th episode live from Paris, France. That's 14 weeks away. <laughs> That's like two or three months. Oh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I totally want to. I'll talk to Brent about it. We'll see. Great. <laughs> Hey, you know what he's going to say, though? He's a little bit more cautious than we are. Well, have you told him all of my COVID exposures and how I've never contracted it? No, I haven't. Should but I? You need to. You think that would help? OK, well, that just means you're not going to get it. Well, that's what's most important about. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We love you. See you later. We. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.